talk about Chernobyl because there's something about Chernobyl that just continues to fascinate, isn't there? And the scientists are always studying the impact of that nuclear meltdown, especially now that it has been, what, 35 years since it happened. And they study everything, including dogs. Yes, dogs. There's a new article in the journal Science Advances that focused on 302 free-roaming dogs living in and around this disaster site. So what can we learn from them? Well, Dr. Tim Musso is with us, a professor of biological sciences at the University of South Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure. So what good is so in- well, good morning, <laughs> South Carolina. Uh, what is so interesting about these dogs? Well, you know, the, the, the main interest for us is that these uh, dogs have been living there uh, pretty much independently for, you know, since the time of the accident. These, these dogs are actually the descendants of the pets that were uh, left behind when the inhabitants were forced to evacuate at the time of the accident. And so they've been evolving and, and adapting to this, this environment that's kind of unique in, in many ways. And, and because they're dogs... You know, they, 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 they go where people go. And so they're a fantastic model for looking at uh, what the effects of radioactive contamination might be for not just the, the dogs and the other animals in the areas, but, but also the people who work and live in that region. So what can we learn from their DNA? What have you been able to tell? Well, at the moment, you know, this is this is the first step of, of a longer term project. Uh, and what we've, what we've established is that the, the animals really are living as a kind of a unique little population. There's two, two populations, actually, one right around the power plant and another in the little town that's about 15 kilometers south of there called Chernobyl City. And uh, they've been living independently. And, and now we've characterized their genetic ancestry. We can start to investigate with much finer detail how the DNA has changed in response to, you know, 35 generations of, of life in this, this really stressful environment. Has their DNA changed? Well, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, we have some hints that there have been some, some changes, but we, at this point we have not published those results, so we can't really talk about them. But let me just say that it's incredibly intriguing and, it, and, and very promising in terms of what we might find in the oh. future. Oh, well, that was a really good sell. Really good sell on that one. <laughs> so I guess, like, what was the theory? So did you think that they would be essentially the same after 35 years? Was that what you were trying to figure out? Well, you know, our, our first suspicion was that there'd been immigration into the zone uh, from, you know, the workers and, and other folks in the area uh, that would have led to, a, you know, a mixing of the population with constant immigration. But that's, that's not what we found. We found that they, they've actually been living relatively isolated with little input from other sources, other populations. And so this is what provides, you know, just such an incredible tool to, to look at how that population has changed. Uh, you know, because they, because they haven't had all of this gene flow from other areas, it means that what we see in these dogs now really reflects how they've responded uh, evolutionarily over these past 36 years or so. Dr. Musso, how rare is this in terms for research purposes to find a population like this? It's incredibly rare. Uh, you know, this, this, this area is, is, you know, very challenging to work in. Uh, we've also worked in Fukushima uh, and, 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 you know, it's just really, really difficult to, to, to muster the resources and the people to, 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 to tackle this kind of problem. And, and also, it's incredibly rare to find uh, a large population of, of mammals 
who are so approachable and, and easy to work with. And, uh, you know, I should mention that the main mission was actually the care and well-being of these animals and to help control the spread of disease and reduce the population size so that the survivors would have a better life. Uh, this was done in collaboration with uh, an animal welfare group called CFF. And uh, uh, the, the research part of it was sort of, uh, you know, serendipitous. It, it kind of layered on top of the, the animal welfare program. Is it surprising, though, that you could get this group of mammals that has survived in these really, what we thought was pretty hostile conditions 35 years ago? Incredibly surprising. And, and in fact, I think, you know, for, for most of the, the past three decades, they, they were just sort of kind of hanging on, you know, living off the handouts from the workers at the plant and, and, and some of the inhabitants of the Chernobyl city. But, but over the past decade, the influx of tourists uh, you know, there were 110,000 tourists to the Chernobyl zone in 2019, and uh, as well as the thousands of workers who were brought in to build this new safe confinement structure that was put in place on top of the old reactor that had melted down. All of these people coming in uh, led to, you know, feeding of the dogs and the population <laughs> exploded. And so uh, that, that really provided the opportunity to do this study. First of all, I'm still amazed when you could say Chernobyl and tourism, right? In the same sentence. (laughs) But also, so the DNA of these dogs, and are they just like other dogs? As they have things, can you tell us that? Have things stayed relatively the same? Well, you know, so what we've been able to tell is that most of the dogs uh, in the power plant area in particular are are the descendants of of the pure breed dogs that that people had as pets back, you know, in in the 1980s. So a large chunk of their DNA is from German Shepherd, uh, you know, lineage, and some of the other sort of uh, Eastern European breeds that were popular at the time. And, and actually, by, and because there hasn't been this immigration, we can actually look at these chunks of DNA from these what were pure breeds at the time, and how those, those chunks have actually changed and in the, in the individual base pairs within those pieces. So it gives us incredible power to investigate how the DNA has responded and, and changed, and whether or not there's a you know a signature that's unique to this radioactive environment. And that, that's one of our main objectives. This is so fascinating. I can't wait to have you back when you're able to tell us more. But Dr. Musso, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for the call. That's Dr. Tim Musso, who's a professor of biological sciences at the University of South Carolina, studying the DNA of the Chernobyl dogs. Yeah, they said these dogs survived and have been there for 35 years, and they're just kind of digging into the DNA of these dogs to find out what has changed, how has living in an active kind of radiation zone impacted them, and I can't wait to find out more about that one. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.